You're listening to The Issues Podcast. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. This is an episode of The Issues Podcast with your hosts, Stephen Russ, Tom Brennan, and Martin Wickens. All right. Well, thank you for listening to the Issues Podcast today. Uh, today's topic is, a, is, is one we've been working toward for a long time. Um, just introduce it. So 2020, a lot of challenges, brought us a lot of different challenges. But I don't think any of those challenges were maybe so clear and direct as this kind of revelation of an agenda that was that had existed for a long time, but uh, became even more apparent during that time um, within education, the agenda of, of the programming of our children's minds towards certain secular agendas and worldviews. And so you had all kinds of things. You had masks, you had forced vaccines, you had virtual learning. And a lot of those things ripped the blindfold off of many parents who were allowing their children to be influenced, some would say brainwashed by the modern public school system. And as a result of those shocking revelations that came out of the public education system, parents started seeking alternatives. And so the consequence of that was that there has been a resurgence of both homeschool and Christian education, um, hence our emphasis on it today. So we want to talk a little bit about the need for spiritual education, Christian education, if you want to term it that way. And how that looks uh, now, uh, how it has looked in the past, perhaps, how it's affected the three of us. And I think um, I think it would, should make for, for good conversation. So, yeah, my understanding was that um, Abeka Books went from servicing somewhere in the neighborhood of 50,000 young people in homeschool curriculum to over 100,000 uh, during the pandemic. And it was just a tremendous jump. So, there's obviously been an increase. And you would think that would that would follow through with other like Bob Jones or mm-hmm. ACE or any other, you know, and, and that's just on the, in the Baptist tour, but I'm sure in, in other orbits that, that mm-hmm. likewise increased. Yeah. So what do you guys have to say about the need for this today? I mean, I, to me and full disclosure, we just opened a school this year at our church. Um, but to me, it's like there's not a better day to open a school than right now. I mean, because people are, are very cognizant of what their children are being taught. That's what it seems like anyway. I, I think in addition to what you cited, which is what people learned during COVID, I think they also learned that they could homeschool, you know, mm-hmm. that, that, that was an option and it could be done. Some parents learned they, that they couldn't, but some learned that they could. Yeah. Uh, and it became an option for them. But I also think that one of the things that drives this is, um, places like Libs of TikTok, which shows you on Twitter the transgender transgender agenda that that's being crammed down the throats of of children and parents all over the country. Mm-hmm. I think you saw that in Glenn Youngkin. Is that how you pronounce his name? Yes, his election in Virginia. I agree. He that's made, so true. He made parent choice and parents' rights a central component of his campaign, and so I think it's wider than just. Um, what you cited, I, I think there's a, I think there's a societal trend on the conservative side that, that sees what some of the rest of us maybe have seen about about public education for quite a long time. Others are finally seeing it. I think. Martin, you're not from America. You grew up in Britain. Talk to us from your perspective on this because it's got to be totally different. I, I don't know. I mean, just share with us what you're thinking. 
There are some similarities. I mean, I think just to pick up on what you were saying a little bit first, I think something else that's happening right now is there's a generation of parents who I think still see public school as neutral, or they did. But Mm -hmm. as you guys Mm -hmm. were saying, that blindness, I think, has been removed, and public school isn't neutral. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're not just learning reading, writing, and arithmetic, you know, there, there's a, a philosophical agenda that is there. And, and so I think that's given a big push uh, that parents now are having to be more aware at the very least and try and counter it. Um, but no, I think in Britain, there hasn't really been a, a truly Christian education for a couple of generations or more. Again, you go back, you know, two generations maybe, and, and the Church of England schools would have still had some uh, some value to them, but for a long time, there hasn't been true Christianity, even in the so-called Church of England schools, which you know they have a lot of influence. Did were, were private schools a thing in England, or are even like you know Roman Catholic parishes, you know, or even private schools? Period, in the sense of a better education, was that a thing, or was that just not a thing? I mean, you have public health care, and and there's a sense a little bit more of a of a socialistic mindset in British mm. history, for lack of a better phrase. Yeah, no, there definitely were and, and still are, but most of them will all still use the national curriculum. And so mm. their teaching material is still going to be, you know, very much flawed. I had a friend who went to school and they were having a science class. This would have been back around 2004, 2005. And she stood up for her belief in, creation and in front of the class the teacher berated her rebuked her and said wow i thought you were smarter than that and mocked her and you know really turned the whole class against her and you know most students would never speak out and and that's just from the science point of view but you you look at morals and a lot of other things and there hasn't been much christ in any of the education system in britain for a long time and it's it's very similar to to what you have here, and I know it'll vary from location to location somewhat, but uh, there's a massive need for Christian education. My my state just I live in Iowa just passed a law uh, last year that essentially lets uh, taxpayers take their public school money and funnel it to any private school they want to for their children to attend. And I think it is really going to drive an increase in private schools and parochial schools. There's fence, there's there's fences on that. It has to be an accredited school. It has to have, mm-hmm. I think, at least seventy five students. has to has to be in existence for so many years, kind of a thing. But it, it it will drive, at the very least, competition to the public school system. I think here in Iowa, and that may be a a different subject than we want to really get into in this podcast, but. It's something that I know is is being. I also think that's been done in Indiana, isn't it, Brother Russ? It is, yes, and it's been actually it's been part of Indiana's system for a while. However, um, school choice this past legislative legislative session was just it was just widened. Like the availability of it is much better than it's mm-hmm. ever been. Um, and same kind of system, there has to be an approved accreditation that's that is um, placed on the school. I don't think there are student limits. There may be. Um, there are a variety of different ways you can do that. And uh, I'd love to come back maybe a little bit later to the the question of what you guys think about all that, because it's it's just something that my mind's on right now. Um, but going back a little bit to the idea of Christian education versus secular education, and, and one of you said something earlier that kind of triggered this thought in my mind, and I don't remember what it was, but um, are you guys familiar with Horace Mann? 
father of mm-hmm. public education, all of that. So Horace Mann, I did a little research mm-hmm. on him just recently because education's it's become a thing for us, right? So we're I'm not necessarily, by the way, um, trying to in any way be um, militant against uh, public schools in our area. That's just not a spirit that we're willing to embrace, not at all. I mean, we want to reach public school kids. And uh, certainly there are some good teachers in there. However, it's worth looking into and researching because you have to you have to identify what makes you different. So in the 1870s, when Horace Mann is starting to really become influential through the different things that he did, you know, he was promoting this idea of basically morality without Christianity. So mm-hmm. that was what, and I don't have the exact quote. I read it earlier today, so I can find it a little bit later. But the idea was that we will have morality and that those morals are even biblical morals. And, and in his day, he said, fine, there can be public, there can be Bibles in the public schools. But the idea is that it would be a very secular humanistic worldview that was going to be taught. So prior to that, I mean, you had, you had schools, but most of those schools were Christian, even the universities. Right. I mean, they all started very conservative and then they bent left. Um, So this new movement catches on and it starts with a with a a foundational belief in morality without Christianity. So we already have a problem because there is no morality without Christ. There is no morality without Christianity. And then one of you also said something I wish I could remember, but I remember it making me think of what I was going to say in just a moment. And that is that. I think people think kind of that if you put your child in public education, that it's neutral. Martin, I think you said that. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And that's, I was, as I was prepping for this particular episode myself, that was one of the things that I was looking at. It's not neutral because public education is based on a secular worldview and a secular worldview is not a neutral worldview. It cannot be. So study it out, right? You're not going to find a neutral, a neutrality within that worldview. And as a result, so here's, here's where I'm at. Okay. I I have good friends who are different than me on this and I would never challenge their, their Liberty per se, but it doesn't stop me from having the opinion that I wouldn't put my kids in public education, especially at this time. Okay. My grandfather attended a one room schoolhouse. That was different. That was back in the 1940s and fifties. And that wasn't like the public school. That was a one-room community schoolhouse. One person was teaching the kids, and the Bible was all over it, you know. Even big school systems. I pastored a senior in Chicago. He was in his 80s. He grew up in Manhattan. And when he was a kid in Manhattan in the 1930s, they had they bust all the children to local churches for Bible classes mm-hmm. on, a, on a routine mm-hmm. basis, just picked a different local church and bust all the kids there for religion classes. And that's in an enormous public school system. And now, of course, you can't pray in a public school system, but you have to do yoga in the New York City public school system. So you're right. It's not it's not neutral. It's, no. it's pagan. Well, it's it's where it's where it's all headed. So different places are at, at different yeah, levels I think, of that. I think I'm a little harsher on that than you are. No, yeah, not necessarily. I think, well, that, I think they're odd. Go ahead, Martin. No, you know, just rural areas. I think there, there's still a potential that you're going to get schools that are yeah. in a different frame of mind. Because if mm-hmm. you've got an area with more churches, more Christians, there's likely more Christian influence still. But and, and more Christian, yeah, we, we've got Christian school teachers 
or Christian teachers who are in the public school system here and they exert an influence and they have kind of a, a withholding element there. But I'm sure there are public schools without any Christian teachers, any Christian influence, and there's nothing to hold back the tide of the kinds of things that we're concerned about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think I'm more harsh than you, Tom. I think what I see is that, um, for instance, this may not be the case in Manhattan, but here after school programs are open to Christian groups, you know, um, and we've been able to to minister in that in that way in our area. Yeah, and and maybe you're right. Maybe it's colored by I spent 16 years in Chicago, you know, and dealing with the Chicago public school system. Sure. And it was just, I mean, and again, we had a, a Chicago public school teacher in our church. Uh, he was a member and a good member, fine member. I love the guy, still love him. Um, but it was just a, it was just a hellhole. It just was. Mm. Um, and now I, I pastor in Iowa and Iowa's different. Iowa's more like America than Chicago is, but you see the same I see the same signs of disease, just not as progressed, if that makes sense. Yes. Right. And it doesn't take much. I mean, it, um, Aristotle famously said, give me a child until he's seven and I'll show you the man. And mm, yeah. these are such formative years for our young people that um, I, I personally wouldn't want to put my kids in a public school system because it may not be that there's, you know, they get to school and there's a statue of Baal and they walk in and, you know, it's like, it may not be anything overtly like that, but there is that consistent drip drip effect of an influence. And even if it's not in the system, it's in the other students. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's something which, uh, you know, I, without shame, I want to put my kids in a bubble, you know, that I'm not putting them on the front lines <laughs> to meet people and, and have their faith challenged when they're still in a period of training. And so, yeah. you know, when they're seven years old, right, you know, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are adults who can't stand for their faith and yet they're saying, send in the kids. Um, and I, I just, I'm personally can't get behind that. So that goes to, sorry, Tom, that goes to kind of what I, I think we're going to talk about here, but, Parents aren't teaching their children the word of God in the home either. And so here's, it's creating a huge vacuum and a a big problem, which is where some people I think get the wrong idea about Christian schools, which is I'll send my child to Christian schools so they get the education they need. Well, sure. Okay. For, to a certain degree, but if that is not reinforced and taught and supported in the home and the, the truth is that the front line of defense against the, um, against in, in the minds of our children, uh, kind of protecting them from the, from the forces of evil in the world is not the Christian school or the church. The, for, the front line is the home and parents are not teaching children the word of God. They're just not, at least not based mm-hmm. on what I'm seeing. I agree with you about that. I think some of that is <clears throat> a mindset that says, you know, as long as I take them to church or send them to a Christian school, they're okay. Some of right. it is a mindset of their their um, academic uh, knowledge is, is more important than, you know, what, what school they're going to. Some of that, I think, is goes back to there has been a an abandonment of teaching families to do to study the Bible as a family, to read the Bible as a family, for the father to take leadership in the home in that area. That that is something that mm-hmm. was done more often in previous generations and is done less now. And I think that leads to 
I don't just mean preacher's kids. I mean, every family in the church, um, that sense of that, that the father bears that responsibility. Right. I think it's one of those areas where too many people, they give up their rights to the so-called experts and a lot of teachers have taken that and run with it. And you, we have heard in the last couple of years, teachers saying, you know, up front and in your face, parents stay out of this. We're the professionals. You don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. And education is our right. And right. thankfully, there's been a backlash against that. And some parents have been wrestling it back. Uh, but education, Christian education, which I think ultimately comes back to discipleship, wouldn't you say? Um, yes. Yes, you know, I, absolutely. Framing all of education around knowing Christ. And I think that was Noah Webster's big thing. He said there could be no real education without the Bible. And, mm. you know, I think to me, that's where a lot of it goes back to. Well, I think if you have an education and it is not put on a biblical foundation, it's no better than anything else that has great potential. But if you don't put it on a biblical foundation, no matter how impressive it is or what it's seeming accomplishments, it actually is a net negative. <laughs> um, what is what is the the beginning of knowledge? Proverbs chapter yeah, one says the it's the fear of the Lord. And that word knowledge, every word in the Bible is our own purpose. And the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge both. But let's stick with the word knowledge because knowledge is what you know. And that's what education is, giving people knowledge. So if you're – and that word foundation is interesting to me. The fear of the Lord is the beginning, the word beginning, because it means foundation in the sense of what I construct a building on top of. But it also means beginning as in the most important part. Mm-hmm. And so if I don't if, – if I don't view everything, one of the great advantages that came to me because I went to a Christian school, and I have a list of those in here somewhere in these notes, is that I learned to view everything through the prism of the Word of God. So mathematics right. became a God thing. Science became a God thing. History became a God thing. Um, e- e- even grammar and spelling, in a sense, of being orderly and following rules became a God thing. And, and, and our worldview became a God-oriented worldview. And I think that is absolutely critical. And it doesn't matter how good your education is, how brilliant your teachers, how how wonderfully developed you can you, you can take that child's intelligence and, and academics. If you don't structure that on a foundation of fearing God, everything that's built above that becomes actually more problematic as a result. Well, we're seeing that, aren't we, where people are denying the very existence of truth, you know, the a foundational claim of the Bible is that truth exists, absolute truth, and now we're being told that certain things aren't, you know, quantifiably true, whether it be gender or even math, you know, two plus two Two is one supremacy. And, (laughs) you know, you remove objective truth, and you end up with some of the insanity that we're facing today. And it's not unintelligent people, but it's people without a foundation. That's, That's a great connection. Let's not also forget that the, okay, so that's the individual, individual child needs to be taught to fear the Lord. Jesus was taught first at home. And, you know, Tom, you made this point, I think first at home, then in the synagogue, uh, taught from the word of God, but also the interest of the parent and the, and the interest, the interest of the believing parent is in the salvation and discipleship of their child. I mean, that is the, that's the calling uh, of stewarding the heritage of the Lord and so I think, Martin, you said earlier that education is discipleship. And I totally agree with that statement, if that's what you meant to say. 
because mm-hmm. I, I, you know, it's, education is is discipleship, even down to what Tom said that the math is a God thing and viewing all of these orderly structures that we learn about that make up our living. You know, I'll never forget when I was, and by the way, I hated math. When Tom said math was a God thing, I was like, not so sure. (laughs) But uh, I was, I was a terrible math student, honestly. But in high school, we had a a really good math teacher and, and I was grateful for that. I still am. I did, I did pretty well um, coming out of high school with math. Um, It's just not something that I recall well, nor is it something that I, I learned quickly. But at the same time, you were talking about seeing concepts through the lens of a biblical worldview. And I remember going through the particular part of high school math where it says a line goes forever in both directions. A segment goes forever in one direction from a fixed point and uh, a, or a, a ray, excuse me, goes from a fixed point forever in one direction. And a segment goes from point A to point B. And I, I'll never forget just sitting there, not a very intelligent high schooler because none of us are when we're in high school. But I thought, oh, I says, that's cool. So the line is like God and the ray is like our soul and the segment is like our life. Mm-hmm. And that was the first thought on my brain. And I remember that to this day. And it, I was like, wait a minute, God created this too. There are pictures of so many God created things in our learning and education. God as a God of design and order is, yes. is just you see him. Psalm 19 declares that, right? The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament show the handiwork. I love history. History is my favorite subject, and I read all kinds of history. Still do, always have my whole life. And it is astounding how often you can see God at work when you read history, when you look at how things have played out, how God has moved, how it, you see his hand in yes. orchestrating things. And I was taught mm-hmm. to see it that way in ninth and 10th and 11th grade when I was taught a Christian worldview of history. And that has helped me my whole life. And so right. it, it, again, it's not, academics are important. It's not that they're not important, but if you, if you take that important subject and you, you absent it or subtract from it, the fear of the Lord, you have just developed a smarter, more sophisticated, more intelligent, more dedicated, more driven sinner, which means a worse sinner. That's what I think. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. It's very deep, actually. Good job, Tom. Yeah, you said about math. I don't enjoy. I I failed math horribly. Anybody who does ACE will know what I mean. But ACE <laughs> grades are in like twelve paces. So there's twelve paces per ACE grade. I ended up doing. What? Wait a minute. You d- you did ACE? Yes. My brother. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that explains a lot. Yeah. Well, no, actually, we did not do ACE math. Okay. Our t- our teachers were like, we're going to do ACE, everything else, except for math, because we're not doing it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I ended up doing something like, it was like 19 or 21 paces, because I kept failing and having to redo them. And anyway, that's a whole other story. However, oh. there was no, no, a... No, no, Tell us all those stories. Uh, what do you leave I'm, all I'm, the actually, interesting parts out for? Actually, I want you to keep talking, but I so do not want this going out. Like, it's like, oh, I'm cringing right now. <laughs> um, hi, let me finish. Hashtag no edit. This is like, Einstein. he's going to spin this like Einstein failed math in fourth grade. And so that's why he had trouble. I can see where this is going already. Margaret no. Thatcher said. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, Margaret Thatcher said. No. So the, like the, the day-to-day math of, uh, you know, in, in the that academic schoolroom setting, I really struggled with. Uh, but I read a book called Alex's Adventures in Numberland, and he looked at math and numbers from a historical sense, you know, the, the discovery mm-hmm. of zero, the invention of zero, 
and he looked at pi and the golden ratio and he showed how yeah. math is in the world around us and and again it's that fingerprint of god how you can look at math and numbers and how it just works in the world and deny that god is there and and, and again it's bringing mm-hmm. that god consciousness into every element of our education right and so having received a christian education I can say this too, like a lot of the accusations leveled at, at the Christian education these days are, are false. You know, that we they'll tell you that we were taught white supremacy and, and racism and all that. I'm like, no, mm. no, I remember very clearly in history being taught in a Christian curriculum, racism, um, slavery was wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, I really enjoyed the part about the Revolutionary War where America was right. But anyway, throwing that out there for you, Martin. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, well. When I went back to the church, so I grew up in a church that had a Christian school. My pastor started the first ACE Christian school in Europe. And, um, you know, I was privileged to go there. And then I grew up, went away, ministered in a couple of places, and then came back. And the school, unfortunately, had closed by then. But a local newspaper had called up because an ACE graduate was making accusations and complaints about the curriculum and Christian education and so this journalist was going to do a, a piece on it, and he called me up and he said, um, so we're told that the the course material frequently changed because it was full of mistakes. Uh, and I said, so are your kids in school? He said, yeah. And I said, are they using the same textbooks that you used? And he was like, uh, fair point. And he said, so we're told that, you know, in Christian schools, that socialization is, is limited and, um, you know, and so people aren't exposed to other people of other beliefs. And, and I said, so did you just hang out with a completely regular bunch of people and they all turned out completely fine and then none of your friends you went to school with now that you crossed the road to get away from? And he was like, oh, yeah, fair point. And, <laughs> you know, just every accusation he made – Wow. I was able to counter brilliance of those debating points. That's pretty amazing. And well, he wow. ended up canceling his piece. He he said, "There's no story yeah. here." Yeah. So good. good. <laughs> um, I, that's by the way, that's always the desired result of having anyone from the media call you is that they just don't run anything. That right. means you gave yeah. the right answers. <laughs> yeah. So. You know, there's a lot of attacks on Christian education, and I think we may be veering off a little bit here, but Christian education, whether it's homeschooling or in a Christian school, it can yeah. be done to the point of excellence. We had graduates from our school that were accepted at Oxford University, and, mm. you know, there's academic excellence, there, you know, community leaders, um, uh, you know, Christian education can be done well and can excel even the, the other options that are out there. I want to build on that. I, I, give me just a second to build on that point because I think that's a tremendously important point. Because one of the one of the primary things hurled at Christian education or homeschool education is it will not equip my child because they won't have an accredited degree, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And not only is that not necessarily accurate, but it doesn't necessarily convey the truth of the matter. Not just specifically accurate, but largely accurate, because there's an enormous number of very, very accomplished people who went to Christian schools or were homeschooled. And can those things be done badly? Yes. Just like every kind of education can be done badly. But can they be done well? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yes. There's not something intrinsic in Christian or homeschool education that makes them automatically subpar. And I think one of the things that's come out of the COVID thing is is that our society is seeing that more and more. 
as more and more people are turning to homeschool as an option, um, they're realizing, even universities are realizing, that doesn't mean that child has a substandard education. Yeah, I think you're correct. So then let's move on then to, you know, some of the objections against Christian education. You know, you hear a lot of people talking about uh, why they can or can't, um, why it's not feasible for them, you know, this, that, and the other. And again, I'm not going to, I'm not going to attack anyone individually because of their uh, decisions. That being said, you know, um, I feel like a lot of the excuses that are given are just not, not really well thought through. Um, Tom, I think you had some thoughts on that as to, as to what those might be and, and a little bit of uh, an answer for, for some of those. Shall we go through those? Sure. I, I think perhaps probably the biggest one that comes up is, at least in my experience as a pastor, the biggest one that comes up is we don't have the money to send our children to a Christian school. Mm-hmm. And I, I sympathize with that, just like I sympathize with the people that say they don't have the money to tithe. I sympathize <laughs> with that. I just don't agree with them biblically. Yeah. Because, yeah, I, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that's that's pretty much correct as far as the number one reason why, based on my recent experience. <laughs> right. <laughs> based on your recent experience of opening yeah. a school this year. Yes. <laughs> and you, it, it will be much more experience over the years oh, to come. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, I look back at my parents, for example, and this is this is where I find um, help in this area. My my, I'm just going to be transparent for a moment. I've I've blogged about this, so it's not something that's necessarily hidden. My father was a pastor. My mother was a homemaker, and my father's church did not pay him very well. In fact, his pay raises did not even keep up with inflation. He showed me a chart one time where. He actually made less money in real dollars after 20 years of pastoring than when he started. When he started, he had uh-huh. three kids, and then he had six. and So he made less money as time went along, not more. And he was never well mm-hmm. paid to begin with. And but, but So how, how in the world did he put us all in Christian school? And I asked him. We had a long conversation about that one time, and, he, and I, I saw things differently when he explained it after I was older. He drove old, beat-up cars that he had to fix constantly. We did vacations in tents instead of, you know, fancy ones. We 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 he he helped. He taught Bible class at the school to help pay for our for our education. We carpooled with other parents to save gas money. Um, we we wore hand-me-down clothes. I never bought new clothes in my life as a kid growing up. Um, I paid for some of my own expenses as a child out of my paper route money because he couldn't afford it. But he made sure that we had the opportunity to attend school in a Christian environment where we would be taught the word of God. And I'm, I'm grateful to him and will be the rest of my life that he and my mother sacrificed to do that. Um, they made it a priority. They moved it up on their priority list above some other things that I think perhaps other parents uh, consider, oh, I'd like to do this, but it's not an I have to do this. And as a parent, if you have to do it, you figure out a way. You find a way mm-hmm. to do what you have to do. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's it's kind of like, what is it? What is what is the mind of your child worth? Mm. What mm-hmm. is it worth to you? Because whatever you allow in the mind of your child is going to shape who they are, and that's very important. I, I think the opportunity. Now, not everybody has. This is another objection, but the, you know. Not everybody has a good Christian school in their area to send their kids to, and and that's fair. That that may not be the be the case for everyone. Fair to say, but if you do, man, 
like invest in them and sacrifice for them. The rewards are re- true. Reward always comes from sacrifice anyway. Mm. You know, you're going to, whatever you put into it, you're going to get out of it. So I think that's a huge one. But what about, what if someone doesn't have a Christian school in their area and, and they're saying, Hey, you know, we, what are we supposed to do? Reverend Wickens, you pastored in England where there weren't good Christian schools available. You made a choice. What did you do? Well, we homeschooled. Uh, there was yeah. a there was a good ACE Christian school about forty minutes from us, and you know we we considered that. But the amount of drive in and I was bivocational. There were just reasons it wouldn't work out. But there were very few. But we would consider conservative Christian schools where they used a genuinely Christian curriculum. So we homeschooled, and so my wife uh, never worked financially. It did put a tremendous burden on us, and that was one of the reasons I was bivocational. Um, is we need the extra funds to pay for their education. And it meant my wife couldn't go out and get a job because she was mm-hmm. she had the job, the, the occupation of uh, teaching our children. And so I, I agree like 98% that probably every parent could do more, could do something to either get their kids in a Christian school or find a way to teach them at home but I would leave, you know, I believe there are some where maybe because of finances or because of opportunity or even because of local laws, it it's impossible to homeschool or send to a Christian school. And, and some of that, you know, financially, again, I think most everyone could do more to sacrifice to make it possible for their kids. But I know there are places, I mean, in Germany and in a lot of Northern Europe, it is illegal to homeschool your children. And if you try it, they will, and they have taken away the children and imprisoned the parents. Um, I respect that. I, I, I understand why you say that. I don't necessarily agree with you. First of all, I think you're building a straw man when you go to Europe. Our podcast listeners are not in Europe and we're not in Europe. Uh, hey, in my mom listens. No, I'm just kidding. Mom, that, your, your mom listens. <laughs> no, she does. No, she doesn't listen. Uh, She's not in Europe either. She's in England, so that's you know, right? Oh, Didn't y'all leave true. Brexit? I mean, can I, I got to remind you? Yeah, but, Brexit but a couple even, of years before Mexit. Martin's yes, but anyway. Martin's exit. Yes, yes. Yeah, I remember that. But I think I, I think most of the time. I can't afford to is an excuse. An excuse is a skin of the reason stuffed with a lie. If. And even even legal situations are an excuse. If I can't, if I'm not allowed to homeschool where I live, I'm moving. I mean, I just am. If you're because in America, my, no, I don't care if I'm overseas. I'm getting on somebody's boat and going to a different country because my kids are that important. It's that mindset that I think parents need to have. That mindset of there's nothing more valuable. There's nothing more important than than the the instruction given to me by God to bring my children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I must do that. It's the first thing I must do. It's more important than anything else in my life. So if I got to change something in my life, structure something different in my life, I'm going to do that. Now, is what I'm saying realistic? Probably not. But I think that mindset would go a long way towards solving whatever problems people have between them and finding a way to either homeschool or Christian school their children. I guess one of the reasons I, I would disagree and and see 
places where it's not an opportunity is because I want to be able to still minister to them and say, okay, this is decision you you've made or the decision that was out of your hands. Um, how can I best serve you and your family in this situation you're in? What makes you think that because I hold a different position, I can't do that? No, I'm, I'm not saying you wouldn't do that. But I feel like if I say, you know, you could do more, but you won't, then that at times is going to burn bridges and make it. Okay, well, let's, uh, fair enough. I, but let's, let's apply that to a different subject. As a as a Christian or as a pastor, there are people in my church who don't do things I think are biblical. Am I going to start soft peddling what I preach in an effort to try to minister to them? Is that is that really the way to help them? No, but I don't think it's a an, an accurate comparison because I do genuinely believe there are there are times when homeschooling or Christian school are not are not feasible. Uh, now, I believe in the vast majority of cases it is, but I think I've just got to leave that door open to op- you know times when it may okay. not be. I know 100% sure that you're right, that there are times it's not when it's the kid who's in the school. He's He got saved. He got reached by a church. He's going to church. He's falling in love with the Lord. His parents want nothing to do with the Lord. They're not going to homeschool him. They're not going to put him into Christian school. He's got to go to public school. He doesn't have a choice mm-hmm. um, because he's a minor and the choice is not available to him. I think that that in especially in those situations that we ought to, as churches and as and as people, rally around those young people and do our best to give them a support system and an encouragement that they can fall in love with the Lord, that they can live right and do right and be right, regardless of where they're going to school. I think that message needs to be sent. Mm-hmm. So maybe there I can meet you, even if I can't meet you elsewhere. <laughs> this is kind of fun. I just sat back in my chair. You literally sat back in your chair. I, <laughs> I was like, oh, uh-huh. <laughs> nap time. Um, I think you no, raised I, a good point that, you know, about, yeah. you know, there are times when the student doesn't have a choice uh, mm-hmm. but we've also you know i think got down here that where possible we shouldn't give the child a choice that that's you know where a child is educated isn't the child's decision oh that's What's correct your, oh, you, you put a quote in there brother wickens from uh andy griffith yes can you look that up that's a great quote yeah it's um it's it's from the episode uh opie's hobo friend and you know the hobo is trying to tell andy well you just you know just let your son decide if he basically wants to hang out with me and you know andy griffith responds to him he says you can't let a young and decide for himself he'll grab at the first flashy thing with shiny ribbons on it and then when he finds out there's a hook in it it's too late wrong ideas come packaged with so much glitter that it's hard to convince them that other things might be better in the long run all a parent can do is say, wait, and trust me, and try to keep temptation away. Hmm. Good old Andy. Andy Griffith nailed it again. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> the black and white episodes yeah. were better. I kind of went a little bit liberal. We went into, uh, you know, the colored recordings. But anyway, once Bonnie maybe, left, it was no good. That's yeah. maybe revealing just how conservative I am. I, th- <laughs> I, I think... I think what Martin's saying is that we can't possibly account for all the scenarios. So he's going to leave a margin of, of liberty there for somebody to say, 
you know, that there is a valid reason that they wouldn't homeschool or Christian school. Um, so, you know, okay, I, but, I tend to, uh, yeah, I tend I to really be between mean, the two of you. And it's like, so that's such a slender area. <laughs> I feel very comfortable being between the two of you on this issue. Cause it's like, yeah. <laughs> hey, Spurgeon said, what is it? Summon isn't the, that's not the difference between right and wrong. It's the difference between right and nearly right. And so, <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah, right. Tom's nearly right. <laughs> I, yeah, there you I'm go. Joking. I'm joking. There you go. But I, so no, Tom, I think the key you know, message Martin, should be this: we should do everything in our power to make sure our yes. children have a Christian education. There you go. That's have where a I was. Education. I was trying to yes, bring those right. two. Was pr- trying to bring you guys, the beard and the Brit, together a little bit. And mm-hmm. Martin just uh, made peace. Good work. He Martin. surrendered. Hey, I'm going to go see him this weekend. So I've got to make sure I'm on, you know, good terms with. Oh, that's right. right. Hey, you that. know, this is a this is a good place. We're not done talking yet, but this is a good place to interject the fact that listening to Martin Wickens read an audiobook is quite possibly the most pleasant experience that you'll ever have in your life. And he has a <laughs> podcast about his grandfather's bi- autobiography. Yes, go check it out. What's it called? Uh, it's just called Eric. So it should be Eric. on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon. Apple. I don't think we signed the NDAs before you did that, but you know, it's whatever. Break from the issues (laughs) guys and do your own thing. No, it's really cool though. It's the story of his, of his grandfather. And I'm, I'm waiting for the next episode to drop. Come on, man. Let's go. Let's get, let's get with this. Um, so, okay. So let's get down to some of the practical things then. Let's see. Let's say that someone uh, like the person that Tom described earlier, who he's first generation Christian, he's in in um, public school, his parents don't go to church, he's maybe rides a bus to church. I don't know. We'll we'll just kind of leave it at that. How can we encourage that that young person, uh, that young man or woman in their faith? I mean, what are some things that we can do? I think one of the things you can do is you can point them toward examples of the Bible of people who lived out a bright faith in the Lord in the midst of circumstances that were not godly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You you both can now think of like a million of those, right? Yeah, but Joseph, the one I'm thinking is Daniel. Right. I, and, and Daniel comes mm-hmm. to mind. Joseph yeah. in prison comes to mind. I mean, there's, there's, so I think you can take and you can, th- those are directly applicable, I think, to those young people in those situations. And mm-hmm. I've tried to use those to encourage young people in those situations. Yeah. I think teaching the Bible so I was going to say, and teaching the Bible apologetically, and not just telling them this is what we believe, but taking the time to say this is why we believe it, and here are some objections you may be here, you you may hear. Uh, this is the response to those objections, mm-hmm. and so give them examples of those who have lived out their faith, but also give them, equip them uh, to be able to defend their faith, and and that's something I like about the Answers in Genesis material. Uh, there's mm-hmm. a heavy influence emphasis there, not just on this is what we believe, but this is why we believe it and how we defend it. Yeah, I, I think that's wise. I think you're right about that. I agree with you about that, Brother Wickens. I think another thing that comes to mind is you can do your best to help those young people be in church as much as possible. And I don't yes. just mean that in the generic sense of go to church, but here, let me arrange for you to get picked up on a Wednesday night. You know, even though we wouldn't normally run a van or a bus on a Wednesday night, let me make sure that you have a ride and a way to come. Um, I'm thinking right now of a young man who just graduated from the Chicago public school system this past spring, and he was reached in our church in Chicago by the public school teacher, the Chicago public school teacher I referenced earlier in the podcast, 
uh, who, by the way, is still a public school teacher for the city of Chicago. He reached that young man as a student. That young man became a part of our church and attended our church for many years, uh, now graduated, moving on in life, considering the ministry, actually. But he he inserted himself into our church, and he came to everything. And we made sure we included him in as many things as possible. And I think that gave him a family, a, a spiritual family, a Christian home mm-hmm. he didn't mm-hmm. have. And I think I think most of our listeners, if not all of our listeners, will understand that. I think that's a practical thing we can do to help young people in that situation. If you if you've ever heard Abdel Judah's testimony, very much in line with what you're saying. I mean, it is possible for someone to come out of a home that's completely opposite church, God, the Bible, etc., and grow into a very strong Bible believing individual. So, uh, with a lot of things that you said. Um, interestingly enough, we just started a Christian school and I've actually been contemplating putting a post together and putting it on Facebook. It probably should be more like a blog, but I don't have a blog. That's Tom's area. Um, (laughs) but my thought is to do something in defense of homeschooling because as of late, it's almost like with some, with certain documentaries and stuff that have come out and, you know, make things look, look very, very bad. Um, it, it becomes a whole broad brush situation. Mm -hmm. And, and here's what I think. Okay. I think that the parents have every right to educate their child. I think the child deserves an actual education. So I think that you have to do a good job. Uh, I think there mm-hmm. are plenty of resources out there that would allow you to do that. More than uh, ever. I think, yes, more than ever. But I think that the parent has the right to, um, to homeschool their child. Uh, I think they even have it constitutionally, not that they need it because I think they have it biblically, but um, I, I, I don't think there's anything in the constitution that prevents a, a parent from homeschooling their child. What are some things that homeschool parents can do? I mean, as far as encouraging their children to be uh, properly socialized, that's one thing we ran into when we homeschooled our kids leading up till now, actually, was we were like, how do we get them out with other people, other kids? You know, they don't have a larger group of, of friends uh, in the school. It's just them. Um, and then also, you know, how do parents who maybe don't come out of an educational background, how do they grow to the place where they can truly give their child the education they need, even with their limitations. We had our children in a Christian school, Mandy and I did, until they were in upper elementary, and then we switched to homeschool. So we've done both of these. Uh, and really, my wife took the lead of the homeschooling. Um, I come alongside. I've done certain subjects. I've done math with uh, the kids. I've done history. I've done Bible. But she's done most of the rest of it. And I watched her in her progression. Um I would love actually to interview her and and some other ladies who homeschool as a part of this. But things like attending homeschool conventions, it will it will broaden your horizons of what the resources that are available to you. Uh, listening to homeschool podcasts, um, uh, again, just you're educating yourself on the subject. Um, one of the primary things you can do that can help is if you can find a local homeschool group. That there are more and more of them. They're everywhere in the country. And they're families that are largely like yours, and they gather together, um, and sometimes they'll do activities together. Sometimes they'll do difficult subjects, study chemistry together, something of that nature. But almost always, you'll have the opportunity then to glean from more experienced parents who've homeschooled and done it successfully. Um, those are all things I've watched my wife do over the years that that helped her in a continual way because they brought continual new ideas, fresh ideas across her path that she could then figure out how to incorporate in our specific situation. Well, I think you said something about the, you know, both those in 
a Christian school, public school, home school, but it's making them feel a part of a larger community and, you know, the community of the church, the church family. Yeah. And so I think it's it's in vital, whether they're homeschooled or Christian schooled, that there is a heavy church, local church community that they can be a part of, as well as, you know, a wider circle of local churches that they can fellowship with and the young people there. Uh, but be made part of, made to feel a part of something, uh, I think is very important. Yeah. And I will say too, that I'm going to second your, your statement there. We found that the best way to socialize our children and, and, and all of that was by just having them in church all the time. They were very well connected to other children. There was no problem there with the social aspect, all that kind of stuff. Um, so, you know, the local church is an ally. I have known a lot of, and I don't, I don't say this with disrespect, but I have known a lot of homeschool families that have viewed the church as a threat. It's like, no, don't do that. Opposite, opposite. That's opposite. what I said. Yeah. And, I, and I'm not going to get into this because we're almost out of time, but, but I think that's one of the biggest downfalls. It's not the only, but it's one of the biggest downfalls of the Gothard style of sure. homeschooling. Sure. And so, man, look at Tom, you are just, you're influencing me now. I'm dropping names, but that that's one thing. It's like, that's the biggest flaw. It's like, there's no local church authority. That's where the home church movement kind of blossoms with all of that, as far as it's, it's promoted in a sense. And, um, so, you know, suffice it to say, get into your church and don't, you know, realize that the church is an ally. Uh, and I've tried to do this and I'm going to, I'm still trying to do this, letting people know in our church that just because we've started a Christian school doesn't mean that I insist you put your children in our school or it's all or nothing. Absolutely. No, that's not how this is going to work. Yeah. Because it's, it's parents with it's parents with a desire to educate their children biblically, to put their knowledge on the foundation of fearing God. So if one Mm -hmm. parent chooses to do that at home, another parent chooses to do that at a good Christian school, God bless you either way. Let's, let's love each other and get along together. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I was just going to throw something out there about homeschooling is, you know, sometimes homeschoolers see anything outside of their own direct influence as being, like you said, a threat. And, you know, that that's something which they've got to counter. You know, they've got to trust the Sunday school teachers. They've got to trust the pastor. Um, And homeschoolers can sometimes become very insular. And so, you know, be a part of the church community. That's what church is. And if you're mm-hmm. going to have a Christian education, then being a part of a church is a part of that. Most right. of the criticism that gets hurled at homeschoolers, most of it could be solved. A lot of it's broad brushing, but most of it could be solved if they just love church. Right. You know, you, you, you take your kids and you get them active in a nursing home ministry. What's that? Mm-hmm. That's, Besides being biblical, it's socialization with your young people, with seniors. Who, mm-hmm. you know, well, that's tremendously good for them. I mean, there's just an, a, a lot of different applications of this. Right. Uh, it's a different discussion. We haven't touched on it, but God started both the church and the home, and yeah. they're both important. Both of those mm-hmm. things, sure. Yeah, and and they 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 they're not supposed to conflict with each other. They're supposed to support each other, and they should. Yeah. And they yeah, do I've, I've even heard some people say that, you know, churches shouldn't be involved in the education of their child at all. But Tom, you kind of made the point earlier that all Jewish boys and girls were educated at the synagogue, right? So uh, we know this for a <laughs> fact from history that that so Jesus would have learned at home until he was 
six. He would have learned how yes. to read and write from his mother. He would have learned from his father, would have taught him just the Torah. At the age of six, he would have went to school and the school would have been at the synagogue and the teacher would have been the rabbi. And from six to 10, the only course of instruction they would have had was the Torah, where they're studying the word of God. Then after 10, they would have added in other things like the Mishnah, which is a commentary on the Torah. So we're not broadening our horizons a great deal, but it was so heavily focused on the home and the synagogue, which is not the church, but I think we get the example here. Jesus, obviously at the age of 12, was highly educated, but primarily in the word of God. Mm -hmm. And I think that is just tremendous. And Mm -hmm. how can we not look at Jesus as an example and as a literal example here of, of both of these, he was homeschooled and he was church schooled for lack of a better phrase, but it was, it, it was a knowledge that was placed square upon the fear of the Lord. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, that's, that's an excellent way to kind of sum everything up. And I think we've had sufficient conversation to, to kind of, I don't know, just get people thinking about this whole idea of, of educating with a, with a biblical worldview um, and doing whatever necessary in order to uh, to do so. So, uh, you guys have anything further to add? Otherwise, we can finish this episode out. One quick thought for me, which is we don't consider ourselves educational experts by any means. We're trying to be biblical, and we yep. would we would love to hear from our listeners who have experience in this area, their perspective on what we've said. If we have made mistakes or said something wrong, please tell us what you think. If you want to try to change our mind, good luck. But go ahead. We'd love to hear what you think. <laughs> If you um, want to change your mind, talk to Martin. Because we're not <laughs> But anyway, we, we, we really would love to hear some feedback on this. Absolutely. Martin, anything from you? Nope. Uh, again, hopefully we've been a help and a blessing. And if you're looking to start a Christian school, reach out to Stephen Russ because he just mm-hmm. did it. <laughs> He's the expert. Did it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't have any tenure, but I got it done. We got it off the ground. That's that's the half the battle. They need Personally. to ask you now while you know everything. Yeah, yeah, that's like, like uh, a parent with a new baby. That's right. <laughs> yes, now now we're experts. That's Absolutely. right. <laughs> Pray for us. All right, well, thanks for listening to this episode of the Issues Podcast, and uh, we hope you'll tune in for the next. Mm-hmm.